Can I say I won't give it up? My old friend, Peter Augustus. <laughs> it's too many letters. I couldn't get it out. Peter Augustus Venti. Uh, I just learned that that's not your middle name. It's true. Um, but this is interesting. Were your folks in numerology because your middle name is Frank? So Peter Frank Venti. No. Five, five, five. I know. It's just short of you know who. Yes. Okay. The mark of the beast. Were they God-fearing, God-fearing people? No, they were Roman Catholics. We went to midnight. So they mass. were. No, they went to midnight mass at Christmas so we could drink first. I like that. I like your parents already. Yeah. You grew up not far from me. Twenty minutes down the road. I know. What a trip, man. East Longmeadow or Longmeadow? Longmeadow. Longmeadow. Longmeadow proper. Let's not fuck with East Longmeadow because those are some weirdos over there. Yeah, because you got to go through Longmeadow to get to the Connecticut border to get your drinks because it was the drinking age was three years. 13. (laughs) (laughs) It was 13 in the 30s. Uh, You grew up just down the road from me. And yet we our paths crossed here in Phoenix. And I will make this promise to you now. This podcast with my dear friend Peter Venti is not going to just be about $10 outfit and Western Massachusetts. I swear it won't. But 80% of it will be. But there's the connection. There's good. But it's funny because we're 10 years apart, but you used to play at Tilly's. Yeah. And I used to go drink at Tilly's. No. So my one of my questions was going to be, were you hanging out in downtown Springfield? Yeah. In the... Must have been late 90s. No, you were only no, here. No, I graduated high school in 83. Holy moly. Well, and I went to college. Yeah, I am. Oh and I went to college. Good. And I came. Thanks. <laughs> I look good. I look good on a podcast. <laughs> you have a face for podcasts. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so um, I came back to Springfield in 87 when I graduated college and I did an internship at WGBY. Why? Yeah. Was the local PBS, PBS station. station yeah. yeah. So I was hanging around downtown all the time for those six months before I moved out here. So wait, wait. This is 87, 88. And where did you go to college? Northwestern. In Chicago. In Chicago. Okay, man. Hey, buddy. I just wanted to get away from home. Yeah. And they let me in. And they, and you went, you So I went. You went to another snowy situation. Although I will say Chicago. It was horrible. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. And, but I grew up on skis. Mm. skiing in vermont but the benefit in northwestern was they were on trimesters so the year was broken up into four like the seasons yeah so for junior and senior year i went spring summer fall because i had lakefront property yeah for real no living on campus oh i see it was on lake michigan so i and they had a beach so i went spring summer and fall and then in the winter i came back east my sister was at UVM. Mm. I had a whole bunch of friends there in Middlebury. So I just mm-hmm. went and hung out and skied all winter mm. and then went back to school and had summer on the beach. Mm. Sounds like you had a terrible... It was horrible. I'm surprised you made it out in one piece. I know. Looking I like know. you do. I, I mean, yeah, God, you haven't yeah. aged a goddamn bit. That's right. But let's go back. I like to start the podcast. This question typically gets mm, some proverbial uh, juices flowing. And this is... Your earliest musical memory, whether it's an A-track. We've been talking about A-tracks all night. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, we got together to rehearse for a $10 outfit show. We're going to talk all about $10 outfit. Don't worry. For all the f- 
crazy $10 outfit fans out there. We're still mucking it up out in East Mesa. But anyway, we were talking about um, memorable 8-tracks because mm-hmm. we listened to Heron Nielsen. You're like, I had all these on 8-tracks. Okay. So it could be an 8-track. It could be a, a record. It could be a, just a song that you heard in the car with your folks going to the Who's How, going to the Roman Catholic Mass on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Just that moment where you feel like you kind of came online, like m- music immediately meant and felt more important than whatever was happening before. Mm-hmm. And go. Three, two, one. All right. So... <clears throat> It's hard to pin it down, okay. but my family, my father was pretty musical, oh. and he had a wicked stereo system for um, that time. He had a reel-to-reel deck. He had a recordable whoa. eight-track player. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He whoa, had whoa. great speakers and stuff like that. He used to play a bit of banjo, and my yeah. uncle would play guitar, and there's some old bootlegs of those but so there was always stuff around to uh, plunk around on uh-huh. and things like that. Um, we all had to take three years of piano lessons. Like as a rule. Now I'm the youngest of five. We all, as a rule, everybody had to do it. One of my sisters got into guitar a little bit after that. She was a rebel. But I was really the only one who stuck with it. Mm. Um, so we always had like music equipment around. And and why is that? Dad had really old records and stuff like that. Were they did they did they just loved live music? Did they come from music? Yeah. Like because some households don't like I didn't really grow up with instruments lying around. Like it was they a thing. grew up going to see music because in the fifties. That's what you did to go hear some music. So right. they liked the the rock and roll stuff. But Dad was really into like the old like Lead Belly records and things like that. So he had old a pretty blues. good connection of, of of that kind of stuff. And that's what he liked to play, and pick around with. And they were they were they grew up in Massachusetts as well. Yes. So God, what was what were, like? What were the clubs like? What was Springfield like in the fifties? They were just telling me. What, now my folks are in their eighties now. So Dad was just telling me that they used to go to one that was a a boxing ring. Not but, the Hippodrome, right? Because that that was an older theater that they kind of re- renewed. That might have it might have been the Hippodrome because they did <clears throat> boxing events, but they also did live music. Yeah, and they would go and hang out and dance, and that's Whoa. the way they they yeah. they got out. So after the three years of piano lessons that were just drudgery, they were taught by the woman who played the organ at the church. So it was wasn't, wasn't really classical training. It yeah. was like here's here's a piece of music. Let's learn to play it. But I went through like the entire Beatles songbook. But once I finished my oblig- my obligatory three years of piano lessons, that's when I started really playing. Yeah, it was raining outside. I'd sit at the piano and stare out the window and just play. Uh, upright and piano, grand piano, grand piano, baby grand, grand piano. Yeah, we had a baby grand in the living room. Sexy. So that's Goodness. really when I just started to play and really started to come to terms with it. Huh. Uh, but I was always into music from the get-go because we always had music in the car or in the house now being the fifth of five like you know ramble on would come on i'd be like yeah great and one of my sisters would be like turn the channel ah interesting so we were always kind of fighting for for the dial can you just share what the age difference is within the siblings because that uh, does play a big sure catholic family everybody's a year and a half apart <laughs> Wham, bam, bam. As soon as you can make another one, you make another go. one. And go. And go. Yep. And exactly. go. And Except. go. <laughs> Except for the last two were twins. Right. 
So uh, that's my buddy Richie Price right so there. So we are 1959 to 1965. Oh my God! Pop, pop, pop. But, but you know, music tastes don't change that much within a year and a half. You're still kind of living in the same zone. Sure. But you're saying that, that even between the siblings, at that close of an age. There was, it was like, it was still like, that's not hip anymore, or that is hip. Like, there was still that, like, back and forth between. Sure. I get the radio now. Uh, I get to take it to but 102.1 th- But think, of, think of the the time, too. Being born in 65, yeah. you know, by the time I kind of figured things out, maybe I was seven years old. It was 72. Mm. Think how much great music started coming out then. My mm-hmm. sisters had all the James Taylor records and the mm-hmm. Jackson Browns. Mm-hmm. Jim Croce, maybe. Um, the Crouch. But I started getting into, like, everything else. Yeah. Dad had all the blues records, jazz records. Yeah. Um, we had a, a good friend in Canada who was a huge jazz, uh, like Woody Herman, big band kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I got way turned on to that stuff early. Okay. So I had, you know, when I think of like the first records I owned, yeah, this is coming later, like high school, it was like Van Halen, Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, Bob Marley, Elvis Costello, all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I really kind of hit them all, yeah, hit them all running. But growing up, it was the Three Dog Night, Eight Tracks, and the Harry Nielsen stuff, and yeah. the uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and and all those. Yeah. So. We had all that going on what all the time. time. And the, and that's what was on the radio, too, when you think say, 71, 72. I was just going to say. Janis Joplin, you know, all Everything that. is on the radio. I mean, that was your Spotify playlist. It was just going down the dial. Yeah. Holy shit. So it was How a awesome. really great time to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And having the benefit of musically uh, in-tune parents, because that's a whole nother era of music. So you had, you know... 50s 60s contemporary 70s you know and then what was happening in the 70s with you know as you just mentioned all those incredible artists the singer songwriter stuff you know Uh now we're getting into some psychedelic stuff there's just so much rock and roll there's i mean everything is happening it's all on the fucking radio like yeah that was pop music there's no video there's no nothing it's all it's all just music and going to the record store in long meadow and yep. flipping through the bins and finding something that looks hip and bringing it home and pouring over the lyrics and the and that's the production. where we went to northampton oh is that right they had better record stores yeah northampton the funky little burg the little artist community in the pioneer valley that uh, definitely for for that area, that was where was you gem. went. It was you know, a gem. Restaurants, like good restaurants. It Iron Horse for for Iron seeing Horse. the Troubadours play. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Pearl Street. You know, later the Calvin. You know, years later the Calvin. But what a little like it was just like a vibey. It still is a vibey art artsy college. Smith College is there, so there's like this really interesting energy youthful youthfulness uh you know definitely left of center politically and but just a vibe and had that that like turn the century aesthetic so there's the the railway you know and and you know that is i mean it is it would it is super vibey what what yeah but it had all that new england americana yeah did so did you go into northampton like see shows as a kid oh yeah 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 and iron horse i mean iron horse been around for long time was it the iron horse or were you like it was still the iron horse yeah yeah yeah. 
Um, all right, so did we did we cover the? Are you satisfied with your answer to the early musical memories? Yeah, because it's really hard to pin down because okay. it was always there. Right, musical instruments and music coming out of the out of the hi-fi. Yeah. All right, so in in so you 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 did your you did your service your three years of of piano service, it sticks. You know, do you then say in high school do you start like rock bands and and start messing with school band like how do you take it from three years of lessons which is kind of in a vacuum mm-hmm. alone in your crib or whatever, and maybe recitals or whatever, but then. All right, what's the next step? Because at some point you have to get on stage and, and, sure. and do it. Yep. I was in a band with a couple of guys. Um, I remember it was really hard to come up with a name. I think, uh, I, I think we came up with like Mirror Image or something like that. Begrudgingly, <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but they're the, very hard band names. But then I, I realized what, what becomes a common theme for me is it's really tough to be a keyboard player in a band that wants to be a guitar band so these guys all wanted to play all the guitar covers and i'm just like you know here i am laurie partridge pounding on the on the (laughs) piano keys feeling totally awkward even plugged in peter because because people who want to be in bands don't want to do that you're a piano player you want to you know yeah it's different stuff well, yeah. But I so wanted to be in a band. Yeah, yeah. That was the trouble. So um, through high school, though, I was in the, like, the school jazz band. Yeah. Which was really eye-opening because, like I told you before, there's, you know, the whole big band influence and all that, that kind of stuff. We listened to a fair amount of jazz at home, so it was really kind of cool to be in a, in, a, in a big band. And we were pretty good. We used to yeah. win the States and the Western, yeah. Western Mass all the time. Um, we had a really great director, so so I was way into that. So that kind of filled part of that Jones. But I really liked being in being in a small band. Um, difficult as it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine, like you know, whatever. Um, like, what year is this roughly? So that would have been like junior high. So we're talking about uh, seventy nine, eighty. Okay, so like seventy eight. So you know, heavy metal. As we know, it maybe doesn't exist. Not quite. But but we're on the front edge of it. Sure. Right? And I'm trying to think even of like piano-driven rock tunes versus guitar-driven rock tunes at that well, time. Well, you'd have the band. Right. Right? Like, right. like, like um, what's the song? Uh, 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 the Weight. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, yep. Cripple Creek. There's one called, it was like Brain Fever or something like that. But it was all just like grindy organ stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got organ and piano in that band you got three dog night with organ and piano you yeah. got you know deep all, purple deep purple had john lord with yeah just the crazy yeah. okay crazy stuff yeah but it but you're right it wasn't but like it wasn't quite heavy the metal. feature necessarily 
that, that we were starting to get into at that time. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a music yeah. historian. How did you then overcome that thing? I mean, so you were in bands in high school, went to Northwestern. Did you pursue it there? Did you did you fuck with music as as a as a collegiate study? Yeah, I became a bass player. Not as a collegiate study, but okay. I got in a band and I was I was a bass player. Uh huh. So I played bass in a band that was like a Grateful Dead kind of kind of cover band. Okay. Really loose, and that's kind of been been my theme all along. Is it's like. <laughs> Band, really bands that were pretty loose and you could kind of yeah. do what you want and as long as it sounded good great nobody yeah. was trying to like copy the original uh-huh um but i had better luck as a bass player playing in the band than a keyboard player huh and eventually i, I switched up a little bit but yeah i kind of left the keyboard behind because yeah they're heavy to carry around i, I know talk I had, about a load had, in yeah talk about a fucking load um so i was happy as a bass player i liked it a lot yeah and so you come back to Western Mass, you graduate from Northwestern, you come back to Longmeadow. Yep. And what what now? You're what, 22, 23? Yeah. Yeah. Young just, Peter Augustus. Just, <laughs> just waiting for something to come along. And then it did. Um, most of my friends in college were from here in Arizona. Really? Yeah. So a lot of them came back here. I ended up um, in college... Uh, getting into the radio TV film major. I went as a, as a general studies major in the College of Arts and Sciences, and halfway through freshman year, I, I met a bunch of guys who were, who were doing radio TV film, and, and that really, really spoke to me. So I started getting into technical production mm-hmm. in sound, and I was a DJ on the air for a while and things like that. So I kind of did all of that stuff, and I was, I was you know minoring in a lot of art stuff, like silk screening and yeah. learning some of that stuff. Um, so I came back to mass and I did my internship at, at the PBS station, but then a whole bunch of my friends were back here and I ended up hooking up with, with a a girl who moved back here. So I was like, I had a friend who was joining the Peace Corps. He had a girlfriend in new Orleans and he's like, let's road trip. Yeah. So we took a month and a half in 1988, and we road tripped, zigzaggy across the country. We went to New Orleans and saw him and his girlfriend, and we picked up a couple of Germans, ah. and gave them a lift from New Orleans to Denver, Whoa. over a couple of days, <laughs> and then left them off in Denver and came down here. And <laughs> I, I lived on a five-acre property that was uh, in a guest house that was like an old barn for three years with this girl and it, and it was orange groves and grapefruit groves and we had like cows and chickens it was terrific because <laughs> she she grew up here so she yeah. knew like how to she find these it. places yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was right across from uh, uh the royal palms hotel which is now it, the property got subdivided into five different properties but it was this big field wow right off of camelback yeah great look camelback and 48th yeah yeah i think you're right beautiful name it was arcadia oh my gosh it was terrific you were in arcadia before arcadia was here yeah the funny thing is when i drove down here i went to 5111 west camelback instead of east camelback oh god it's train yard (laughs) you're like this is where i'm living now how am i gonna tell my girlfriend i really (laughs) i really hate this town But no, it all worked out. So so, and it, and it ended up being like a terrific place to live, and yeah. that was all all great and groovy. And yeah. then uh, I don't know what happened after that. Well, music wasn't a thing for a while after yeah. that. While I tried to get a job and stuff. And and so this is this is 
what early early nineties then eighty eight eighty eight nine until well I met you in two thousand and four yeah we don't so those years weren't important no, I'm just kidding. no it's okay we'll gloss over that so ninety two I changed job I got a, I got a job at like a hotel doing audiovisual stuff because mm-hmm. it was sort of technical like yeah. I was used to doing sound support for conventions and things right. like that so it was, it was sort of in the wheelhouse yeah in the realm. And then in uh, 92, I started working at the school for the deaf because I plucked the job out of the paper because I was fed up with my other job. Yeah. I've never really been driven. I envy people who know what they want to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I still don't know. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but you see that. And, and But I also envy people that, that are malleable and can pursue sure. an interest or, or, or take a hobby to the next level. Someone that can do uh, many things well, like that's also yeah, and that's obviously kinda, that's kind of me. Yeah. So I got a job with the school for the deaf out of the paper, and I learned how to speak sign language, and then I started joining bands. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, for a while there, I was in three different bands. I was in a band called Garage Mahal, and that was a great band. So loud, uh, four piece. No, no, not even okay. This was original rock. Guitar player played a really loud Fender, yeah, something. I think he was a Strat guy. Um, bass, drums, and you we, on keys, and me on keys. And I used to have this old distortion pedal that I, you know, duct taped to the top of the keyboard and just <laughs> hit it with my fist. And I have that old keyboard. It's an Insonic, and it had weighted keys, but they all had. Um, like a little stopper on them. Uh-huh. And I have a baggie of... Extra the, stoppers? No, broken oh, off broken. chips from the keys <laughs> where I would hit it so hard uh-huh. that the stoppers would break and then the, the weights would just slam into the keys and it goes clickety-clickety-click. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, the, the aftertouch bar broke so many times and I would open it up and staple it together to make the electrical connection and uh-huh. I just beat the crap out of that. But the band was fabulous. And what were some of those gigs like? Like, where were you playing? We were playing, uh, we, we played a thing called the Blue Moon Freak Show, which was, it started off at, at a place down in Tempe. It doesn't exist anymore. I wish I knew the name of it. Um, and it started on a Blue Moon Sunday and we had a, we had a regular Sunday spot between five bands. Because uh. back in those days, you'd get a 45-minute set and then get right. the hell out. Right. You know, If you Love get enough people out. through the door, maybe you'll get paid. So the Don't. opener always opened, and the closer always closed, and the three other bands would rotate. One of the bands was the Fake McCoys that I auditioned for later on, and they were fantastic, fantastic original band. Um, and, one, and one of the guys was, was my friend Leon, who played solo electric Ah. and sang and he and i ended up getting in a band for years after that but because of that yeah so i was in garage mahal i was in a band called the unholy alliance which was i was playing upright bass and (laughs) percussion and it was a band that had bagpipes didgeridoo dancers taiko drums Jesus. Man. Hence the unholy alliance. Yeah. We could never get gigs because there were like 20 of us. All right. Right. <laughs> so who's going to put us up anywhere? Right. And then. Uh, Who even has the real estate to put exactly, you? Yeah. Exactly. So I was in a bunch of weird things, but Garage Mahal was, was really the ticket to, to the local music scene in Tempe at the time. And this is just you, you know, as a, as a post-grad moving here for the, you know, for the first time and, and living 
uh, in this idyllic uh, situation and having a day job and and just, but I, re- I used to go to see bands right right, right? and so I, early memories of of maybe mill the mill scene like yeah were you mucking it up at all those clubs and oh yeah i go to see spinning jenny and fake mccoys were around all over the place and the leader of the lead singer uh rallo of of the fake mccoys she used to put on a show called what was it called um Oh, I can't remember now. It was at South Mountain. There was a house that, uh, do you remember the band Major Lingo? They no. were big around here. The drummer went off to be the drummer for Primus. Whoa. But they were more like a, a like a folky, rocky band. Okay. But they had the Baseline Mansion. It was their house, but they had a stage that they built. Uh. And they used to do a festival every year. Earth Mother Mind Jam. That's what it was. <laughs> And it was it was one of those great places where you'd go and it was a day of music and you weren't just showing up and playing a set and leaving. You were going and hanging out with yeah. other musicians. Yeah. So that's where I got in touch with all these other people who I eventually became band members with. Right, right. And those those were really special times. Yeah. So, all right. So mid-90s, late 90s, yep, yep. mucking it up in Tempe. Um Garage Mahal, but then there, I know that there are others after that. And, and yeah, so like I said, uh, the, the guy that used to play solo electric, Leon. Leon Santiago. Leon Santiago. Santiago. Exactly. He had a band called the New Subterraneans. Oh. And he was like, you, you should come and play with us. So I did. And that really changed a lot because the bass player is now a solid friend of mine for 30 something years who I play with now. Um, Leon, I played with and was his roommate for 10 solid years. So we used to play in what we changed. The band kind of changed, um, from new subterraneans. It was, it was, uh, we did a lot of studio stuff and it was really, really good. It was all Leon's original stuff. And then things went, went sideways, but we reinvented the band as, um, black sheep choir. Mm Mm-hmm. Me and Leon, we got another drummer, uh, Everett Gepner, mm-hmm. who's fantastic. You've played with him, haven't you? Yep. Now lives in Nashville, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Daryl Colton was the bass player yep. who used to do the circuit with the disco pimps and still does, <laughs> where he would travel to Vegas and California and around and come play gigs with us. Oh. And we had a standing gig at Belo's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was downstairs in that place that was a double piano bar now after that. In, in downtown Tempe, yeah. we had a standing Sunday night gig, and it was, oh, what a pain in the ass. Because you'd have to load in and take all your stuff down the elevator, mm. one floor. And Leon played with a full-size Leslie cabinet for mm. his guitar. Oh, no. And that was just half. He had a rig. I built him a rig that was built into a guitar case. And you put it down on the ground, you open up, the cover came off. And half of it would split off to the Leslie, and half would split off to this other piece. Mm. And he had this acoustic guitar that was... Strung with nylon strings, but two of the strings were octave higher, and he used fishing line. It was the weirdest thing. I don't know. But I used to put an oscilloscope up on top of the Leslie for my keyboard, and uh-huh. Ebert had to have his in-ears thing. And, you know, it took forever to set up that yeah. band. And we had a sax Jesus. player. We had a viola player, Karen Waltuck, who was like 18, and we'd have to sneak her in every, every place we played. Just put her in the cello. But it was in the cello it was case. terrific. Uh, so so she went on to be a, a klezmer player in New York. No kidding. And uh, Daryl's still doing disco pimps, and Ebert's got his thing. And oh my gosh! Um, 
but that was that was a, a big deal. And then you you finish at one o'clock in the morning. Right. You know, the great thing is you're playing all night. You're playing all three sets, right. which was wonderful. Yeah, at the time. Um, but then you finish at one in the morning, and you're loading out, and you get home at two a.m. on Sunday and have to go to work the next yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. But uh, those were those are great times. Those were those were good times. So those early band, like. We used to rent warehouse space out in Tempe and just as rehearsal space. And it was like, you know, unair conditioned, big, you know, just a, just a room, like yeah. a storage room that somebody was renting out yeah. that had like one outlet and you put all your stuff in. <laughs> but you were living the dream. Like it was like, that's like, this is, this must be what it is. Like this is, this must be it mm-hmm. because we're doing it. We got the standard gig here with the regular it was great, gig. Because, you know, as, as someone who used to go to see bands, there was a lot of clubs like Balboa Cafe that was always packed, and it was just unbearable to be in the audience. Right. And I thought, like, the only way I'm coming back to this club is if I'm on the stage. Uh-huh. And then I did. Yeah. With, with, with which project? That was with, um, that was with Garage Mall. Okay. So I auditioned for um, Fake McCoys because they were starting to get some notice they were starting to maybe get signed and stuff like that and i and this I, is late 90s yeah. yeah 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 and i i told him like hey let's do it this way i'll give you two weeks and you treat me like i'm a regular band member and we'll do rehearsals and we'll do whatever and then at the end of two weeks you tell me if like it's a yay or a nay yeah and we got to the end of two weeks and i really love their drummer uh matt myers and i got to the end of, and i really clicked with him and I got to the end of two weeks, and they're like, great, you're in. And I'm like, I'm out. Oh, no. I, I couldn't see myself, like, sitting on a tour bus with those people without, like, uh, getting really angry at, at at least two of them. Oh, yeah. So I bailed. Yeah. So unfortunately, like, you know, I always had, like, the day job. I wasn't ever, like, a, a full-time. And, and that probably would have put me over to being a full-time musician if I went with that. But right, right. I just that, didn't go that path. And, you know, it's it's so hard to to see that. You know, it, it's not a logical decision. It's not, you know, as a as a fellow New Englander, pursuing your art full time to support yourself. Like that's not, yeah, that's not the New England way, you know, or whatever. Uh, it 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 wasn't a. It, it was never. That was never an option. No, I'm sorry. Was, what, that was the black sheep yes. part of black sheep choir. It's like you really gotta. Like, what are you doing? You know, I admire you for taking the plunge and doing that, but yeah, I just I, never did. Well, I just, I guess I, I had the luxury of having very, very low overhead. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had no one to please, but my dog and me. Yep. Uh, and I found uh very cheap, uh, rent. Anyway, um, I want to take a, a short break, but I want to talk about maybe when we come back, just the whole like gin blossoms effect sure. on mill avenue because you know you said you know these bands bands that were part of the scene were starting to get some recognition and i'm sure labels were sniffing around for the next thing because gin blossoms had just exploded and it was a whole different scene the first time i saw gin blossoms was a club called the sun club it's right down the street from uh uh, four peaks Uh, doesn't exist anymore it it probably burned down because it was (laughs) a fire hazard it was a box (laughs) and they had one clip light in the ceiling and you could barely see the band. They could barely see their instruments. Yeah. And they were great. No shit? Yeah. 
but that's that's what the club scene was like then. Yeah. It was like just I mean Belos had a vibe though, right? I mean Belos had some juice too, like it was like a thing. Belos was terrific. Long uh, Wongs, you had like the, the bunch Nitas, um, right? What was the other one there? Long Wongs was 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 great forever. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that place was I got to play there a couple of times and it was just great. Tiny it, it smells of chicken wings and sewage. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a... But playing there is a whole nother thing, and seeing bands there was a whole nother <laughs> yeah, thing because yeah. people were there. There was no TVs. Right. They were there to see the bands, right? And so everybody is, everybody's energy is directed in the same direction, right? And that was great. Yeah. Um. I'll think of the other one, but there was there was a couple other ones that were just like that that were you know, just great places to see different people. Uh, you know, there's a band by a guy, Luke Scood. He used to play kind of like a surf music or something kind of kind of vinyl-y like that. <laughs> um, but they were old blues guys. There was, yeah. um, you know, all different kinds of stuff. Yeah. Lots to be had. I, I And for cheap. I just missed it. You know, I, I just missed it. I remember before I moved out in October of 2003... I emailed Nita's, yeah, which had now moved to a new location. Yeah, that was the last gig I played with my band, The Suffering Bastards. I want to talk about that band too because that name is great. Yeah, that name is great. Nita's Hideaway was was terrific, and the original Nita's Hideaway was, was even was even better. Right, and the new location I heard was like, yeah, it's, yeah, it was know. bigger, and they were trying to get you right. know bigger sized touring bands, right, um, which worked for them for a while. Well, I emailed them to try to get a job before I moved out here. Uh-huh. And I think by the time I got out here, like they were like on their way out. It took a couple months yeah. and, they, and they were Yeah, gone. I don't know what happened, but they were out. But I remember my last gig with Suffering Bastards there, and it was a fantastic place. They had a great sound system. and so. Well, we're going to take a break. Yep. But we're going to come back, and we're going to talk. We'll get on to the present. We're going to get, we're going to talk so much about $10 Outfit. I know you're excited. I want to tell you about a podcast. It's called The Age-Old Question. A podcast for music fans. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with a friend about one of music's unanswerable questions? What's the greatest decade in music? What's the best use of a song in a movie? Who's the greatest singer of all time? Join me, Rich Price, and my co-host, Clint Bierman, as we have fun answering another age-old question. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I am Boomer. And I'm Pixie Ola. Our podcast, Service Entrance People, is for and about the gritty, underpaid, underprivileged service industry workers of the world. Unite! Day in and day out, we walk through the parking lot of broken dreams. So if you're interested in listening and sharing in the war stories of the, the industry, and if you're curious as to what us, the help, are really thinking, we are going to educate you with stories of the strange, shocking, and hilarious, because Laughing is the only way that we can think to even try to get our ways through each day. <laughs> this industry is one that we absolutely, truly love. And although you'll hear horror stories and rants and bitching that we have to work at work because that's the kind of petty betty that we are, we kid because we care. You can find Service Entrance People on all major platforms as well as YouTube and would like to say thank you for tuning into my friend Brian Chartrand and the So The Story Goes podcast. I've known him for longer than he or I would admit. And yes, he is that cool in real life. 
What's up, y'all? My name is Tanner Sigfort, owner of Groove Booking, and I have a podcast called Great Exposure. First of all, thanks for listening to So the Story Goes. Brian is a great guy, a friend, and this is a fantastic and very well done podcast. The title of my podcast, Great Exposure, is a play on the term us musicians have always heard when being lowballed for a gig, followed by, but this gig is great exposure. I am a professional musician and booking agent, and through the years I've met so many amazing entertainers. I created this podcast to have open format conversations with the artists and DJs I have the pleasure of working with. Being that my guests are always artists of some sort, we typically talk about music and the industry. However, sometimes we get on long, drawn-out conversations about very random topics, and that's where I really get to see their personalities shine and I get to know them on a deeper level than just their music careers. And that is my favorite part of the show. I appreciate Brian featuring this ad on his podcast, and I really hope you enjoy Great Exposure. Available on Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Now, back to So the Story Goes. All right, let's let's skip over all the the lame bits. So fast forward through all all the other bands. So... (laughs) Suffering Bastards went through a bunch of drummers. The latest one was Caleb Anderson. Oh, dear Caleb. And Caleb, of course, met you. And we went to Rulabula, where yeah. Walt Richardson was doing the open mic, because yeah. you were playing a couple open mics, and Caleb said you should come along down yeah. there. Yeah, we were looking to put a band together. And that's how we started. And I had a couple songs from before I left Massachusetts, and so it was probably like, you know, Another Lover. Saw your girlfriends at the lake last night When everyone had gone to bed From the bushes crept her lover And into the lake they went Thought I'd let you see Oh, the way she lives Thought I'd let you see How she gives it up now and something else and three lessons three lessons that's right and and he's like i got i said i said i said to caleb i, said, I don't want a, a rock and roll band i want this really to be about the songs i you know i want to be a songwriter now you know because i had done that the, the rock and roll thing and i you know it's it's it, to be in a in a band where you can't play the songs like if someone gave you gave you an acoustic guitar and said well play you know your hits or whatever and you can't play them because they're so part driven sure i didn't want that anymore i wanted to be able to play solo duo trio Uh and i was really in this state of mind where i wanted a non-conventional instrumentation i wanted a really song forward and because I was starting to write those songs mm-hmm. and I didn't want, you know, the classic uh, drums, bass, guitar, keys, vocals. I just wanted to be more agile, more mobile, more fluid. <clears throat> and I said, but I think that I think that, you know, there's plenty of room for piano. And he said, well, I got a guy and you were the guy, Peter Venti. And. He said, uh, you know, next time we play Rula Bula, I'll, I'll ask Peter to, to join. And I remember playing it and, you know, we only had two or three songs and Walt, as you say, was the host. And, and, uh, 
I think we we did a couple of things. You sat there and and listened, and then we kind of sat and had a beer, and it was like, hey man, you know, yeah, this is the thing. This is the kind of the direction, and and you know, we're all well. I mean, I was new to town. Caleb, you know, had gone to ASU. You had been here for a minute, and we were all. I feel like in a place where we could do this thing, like pursue this new idea. Yeah, and. And that, that, felt, that felt really good to me, too, because mm. I really liked being in original bands. I really liked doing the originals because all the parts were mine. Right. I didn't have to try to live up to the other parts, like in the guitar bands. Like, right. I didn't have to try to come up with something that sounded like the record. Right. In fact, when I was in a band with Leon, we would play covers and he would like, he would, he would be adamant, like, don't listen to the record. Uh-huh. If you don't know this song from the record don't listen to it just play it how you think it right. should be and and right. that was great for right. me right so this was right my right up my alley and and you know and at that time uh you know this is early 2004 5 6 yep. Yep. pre you know pre recession and so there was work to be had that was another thing that um i was so blown away when I, when i moved here thing i didn't want to play music anymore there was just so much work like you could you could actually make a living as a performing musician playing original right stuff and i was and i was adamant i was like i don't want to play covers yeah plenty of places to play let's just let's just play our own shit you yep. know and and it really was caleb who who was like well let's learn you know life on a chain by pete yorn i was like that's obscure enough yeah you know let's learn this new artist uh what did we do? We did Life in a Chain. We did Barry Town. Barry, Barry Town by Steely Dan, which I still play to this yeah. fucking day. Uh, Ray Lamontine, yeah. the, the hot new singer-songwriter of that time. That nobody like, knew. Let's play Jolene. Yeah. Okay. You know, so like things that we could make our own, It could because I, I couldn't really be bothered with, as you say, like learning <laughs> the parts. You know, like it had to be, it had to feel like it was mine or mm-hmm. I just wasn't interested yeah and we started uh we cut our first record east meets west eight tracks what it was eight tracks it, it was an eight track yeah it's an eight track digital though it was a di- dat a dat i remember a- having to go out to find the svhs tapes to use for the a AD- <laughs> for the for the a dat machine that was my job well and you and you i do love this about you like you were the tech guy in the band so yeah. like whatever sort of cable we needed like he's like i well, i got it right here you need the fucking i still as a keyboard player keep a guitar <laughs> strap in my in my rig in, in case that's just good looking out <laughs> That's just forward thinking shit. Yep, yep. We cut that first record, um, which was the reason why it was called East Meets West was because half of the tunes were written back east and half of the tunes were new. Right. And I was living on West Monroe Street, um, uh, th- like 13th Avenue, West Monroe. And one of my neighbors was Matt Averill, mm-hmm. who now owns and runs Field Services. And I see Matt every once in a while because my gear explodes and I take so it to I. him. You know, so I'm do saying? I. Love it, and I love Matt so much. So, so he had a he had a house just down, like a couple houses down, and he's like, "Well, just come, you know, come over. I have all the gear." And you know, Caleb was in the living room. 
We were running cables from the bedroom. I was in the kitchen at one point. <laughs> you were in the bedroom. They, yeah. You know those tripod um, movie projector screens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had two of those set up with packing blankets over them. And Are that, you sure that wasn't the next one? That was your ISO booth? It might have been the next one. That was, that was Sholo Sessions. That no. was... Are you thinking East Meets West? Like, this was, like, literally, like, three doors down from the West Monroe Oh, house. you're right. You're right. And Caleb was in the living room yep. slash kitchen slash dining room slash yep. whatever. And I think we were back to, back in the bedroom. Because, you were in the bedroom, and I would think I was in the room with Matt. Yeah, yeah. Now, what would happen is Matt used to repair gear. And so I think all the keyboards I played were, like, other people's <laughs> gear that he was repairing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a terrific set of way and, and and it was like just digital enough to be dangerous in other words like he didn't we didn't do any correcting like it was it was live it was pretty raw yeah. it was super live the the you know you know looking back if i put my producer hat on i was like ah i might have produced it differently there's a little bit too much reverb or mm-hmm. or you know but but it was it was real. It was three cats. Yeah. It wasn't quite direct to two track, but it was right. It was pretty close. It was super basic and mm-hmm. but super vibey. And uh, we made the, the East meets West. And um, I just remember, you know, you, we sent it off to um, I don't know disc makers or CD baby or whatever, and you and the joy of opening a box of CDs. And, and at that time, you know, you got a thousand because you got a price break mm-hmm. and just the joy of that work. And I think on one of the tunes, um, I think 15 tons, like there was a, there was like a, we were doing a potluck and I asked everyone at the potluck that was at my house, a couple of doors down to go to walk over to Matt's and to clap so if you listen to 15 Tons of Moonshine on East Meets West, you will hear my neighbors clapping along. And we only had two sets of cans. And I was clapping and trying to direct. They, could, was, they couldn't hear the they track. They couldn't hear the track. And, and they're, they're just, just clapping watching along me. with you. Yep. But I just remember then you know it. I'm the one to blame. Moonshine's coming down like a rain. that a fun record to make and it was so it was for me it was the bridge it was so needed it was you and Caleb who could hear it and we could execute it in a way that felt I know very fulfilling and and such a nostalgic record yeah for me it came along at a really good time if you remember we, we pressed I forget how many I thought it was a thousand. Was it not? I don't think it was that many. It was like twenty-five. No, how many? Five hundred. I, th- I think it was two or five hundred. <laughs> two hundred or five hundred. But I remember that like the shipping was delayed, <laughs> and we're playing it. We're playing a gig at the Paper Heart. Oh god! 
and we're in the middle of a song and I'm taking a solo and people start cheering and I think like, I'm playing a great solo, but it was really because the boxes of CDs showed up that we were waiting for. And they finally came in the door and were like, yeah, we got CDs. But it was also at the time that CD Baby was a thing where you could submit your CD to CD Baby and they would get us on iTunes. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah. early on, like we got that record up on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. And that was a treat. There were some gems. There were some sneaky gems on that record. The songs are great. And you let me put the crickets on the uh, on uh, Don Quixote. Yeah. I still think about it. And you hear the cargo. Yeah. And you can hear this record, people. Uh, you can everywhere. Hear you can hear it everywhere. Uh, and if you need a copy, uh, call me. And I, I think there's five to ten unopened shrink wrapped, shrimp, yeah. shrink wrapped <laughs> East meets West. This is the yep. collector's edition. Yeah, twenty year old. Caleb got the custom East meets West drummer, uh, bass drum. That's right. We went, we fucking we went leaned in. We leaned into that this. That was great. And we did some little tours and, and um, we, you know, what I loved about that band was that, that um, you know, as, as it progressed and, it, and, and the instrumentation never really changed, right? It was and all. it was great that it was a trio. It was not, a not too trio. many people to. Right. And so we were flexible. We could go on the road. This is pre, you know, everyone having kids. So we could, we would go over to California and do a couple dates and, and it just felt like, you know, it just felt right. And we would play nice performing arts centers. Like before I knew that that was a thing, like you could put this as a regular yeah, thing. Chandler Center had that summer concert series. Chandler we did that Center. twice, right? Yeah, and and uh, like we were in Yuma, like we played the Yuma Yuma Performing Arts Center, and we would record all this shit. Yeah, and we would release it. Yeah, and I don't know if how many of those still exist, but I have them all archived on your website, and that website is tdo.briancharchran.com forward slash music. That's Texas. Delta Omega dot com forward slash music. That project kind of ran its course and we kind of lost touch for a minute. Well, we never lost touch. We just we just stopped playing we as much as playing. we did. You know? It was a good what, ten years. Yeah, it was a minute. And recently we did Divine Wine in Mesa, which was like our that was our home gig. Yep. And that's really where we cut our teeth as live performers and and still have dear friends from that era uh, that still come out and support and, and celebrate those tunes. <laughs> Willing to and, give us a gig as well. Yeah, right. 
yeah, shout out to Mark at uh, Divine Wine in, in Mesa. Uh, and we have a gig coming up, so it, it's super fun. I mean, for me to to um, dig into those tunes again, and it, it, really, it really is such like time and place. And, you know, we, we dusted off uh, Another Lover, which is a song that was written before I moved out to Arizona. Um, and, man, like it, it's incredible how a song can have like it takes you right back to where you were yeah. when you wrote it and comes right back you know and this idea of you know who who was i when this happened mm-hmm. and it is just nice to to you know it's nice to see my life like in the rearview mirror you know it's nice yeah, to yeah. see it down the road yep. a bit you know yeah but um it, they are still fun to play and i you know as as we're playing them tonight you know kind of rehearsing them you're like, oh, you're playing it like this now. Like you're adding this nine or what, you know, like. Yeah, there's some, just some straight... parts I'm like, I'm remembering the voicings. and the, Right, and, right. Know, the the muscle memory not. comes back. <laughs> right. But then, you know, right. the, the the time in between and the. And the yeah. You know, it's just like this having is how played I play for so long, it's now. like, oh, now, now I hear it like this. So, right, so right. I can go that way. Now, it, it really is fun. It really is fun. Yeah, great. But we won't. I, I told you up front, it's not all going to be about ten dollar outfit. So, yeah, let's let's catch up on you and and you know as I said, you you started a family, and you had you have a day gig and and I'm really happy to hear that you're back out playing. Mm-hmm. And so tell me like that process and who you're playing with and, and the the kind of music that you're doing and where you're doing it and. And, um, yeah, it really was a happy accident. Um, I mean, I've always been playing, but yeah. you know, uh, as Roger Dangerfield says, you know, I just stayed home and played with myself, <laughs> but I've, I've, I've always had a piano at home and I've always played and I've gotten into, you know, doing some other stuff with, you know, digital recording and things like that. And, you know, I have a good setup at home with a, a you know, a keyboard and a DAW, um, but you're like the kind of cat like, that doesn't use I, Logic or Pro Tools. Like you have like a DAW that you found somewhere, right? No, I use Reaper. It's 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 yeah. a pretty well known DAW. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't like build it. No, no, it's totally okay. totally commercial and robust. But it's one of those things where like you pay for it once and you can use it forever, and it and it does everything. Okay. It'll do video editing. It, it's it's oh a, really? It's a terrific DAW. All right. Um, but you pay for your license once and you can use it on all the computers you own and it's, it's, it's fantastic. So it's a bit more user friendly. It's not. Yeah. And I've got, you know, all the peripherals I've got like a, a, um, you know, like a, a a fader port where I can have a, a, uh, automated fader with transport controls and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and I can record with a foot pedal so I can punch in, punch out with a foot pedal. You Whoa. know, I've got all that kind of stuff nailed down yeah which is terrific so so my tool set is is terrific um you got so, a sweet tool i have a good tool <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know i'm just getting punchy it's it's late this it's is late. a late this it's is late a late thing for me sorry so uh um so i never really stopped playing but yeah. i stopped playing out right and then by a happy accident um this guy, Ronnie, that I had seen a bunch of times, was a friend of a friend. He works in the Gilbert School District as his day job. And he does a bunch of solo stuff, but he hates playing solo gigs. So he has, uh, he, he 
the the band goes as Ronnie Leach and Along for the Ride, and there's there's three or four guys in, in right. the pool, yeah. right? Yeah, so in the when roster. He, when he gets a gig, he calls us up, and whoever is is willing, you know, able or willing to do the gig is along for the ride. So there we go. Sometimes we're a trio with keyboard and percussion. Sometimes it's keyboard and another guitar. But he just doesn't like to play shows alone. And we have a repertoire of 70 yeah. songs, and it's all pretty standard stuff. There's some uh, Bob, covers or covers. Yeah. Bob Marley, um, Van Morrison. Yeah. Uh, some old, some new. Um, I bet it. I bet it slays. Yeah. I and, bet it does and, agree. And, you know, Ronnie's pretty good at reading a crowd, and when they need to hear Sweet Caroline, we'll, oh, we'll come up with it. But if, if it's going to be, you know, um, something a little more modern, we'll we'll do it. <laughs> so we've, we've got a pretty good range. Good. And, and, and he has a booking agent, so we've got really good gigs. Nice. So it's sweet. It, and, and it came out of the blue. He was just like, you know, oh, my, the guitar player I, I wanted to play with after, you know, bugged out after covid and didn't want to play anymore and uh -huh. he was looking for people yeah um and he knew that from friends of friends that i was i was around and and we played like a like a spring festival at his at his uh, neighborhood he lives in the islands and they do a big spring fling at, at their their park so in we, the islands yeah so we played a gig out where's that um warner and Oh, it's like a neighbor. It's the neighborhood. A, okay, got you. Yeah, like, with a big community center. I was like, you know, there are no islands in Arizona. No, 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 no. Okay. The islands community with with a community center. So, I see. So he he always plays their annual hoo-ha. So right, so I accompanied right. with him then, and then he's like, great, I'm gonna call you for some gigs if you're yeah. into it, and I'm like, that'd be great, and can, it's turned out really great. Can I ask you? And I think Caleb played with us once. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I dragged him along. So as not to be on the spot. I know that music, musicality flows through your veins just as much as it does for me and, sure. every, and everyone else, you know, on this podcast and, and, and other musicians here in town. And, and I know that it will never go away. And I'm, and I'm probably going to botch this question, but maybe there's a question deep in here somewhere as someone who has a full-time job has a family and works uh works as much as you can as much as you want to do you see a scenario where you do full-time music or does it live in your life where it needs to live right now right now it lives where it needs to be yeah so when i was a theater guy doing tech theater aside from a day job getting freelance gigs like that became an obsession mm -hmm. i really liked doing it but i was afraid to turn anything down and i ended up really over i booked every spare minute of my time mm. this was before i had a kid and i could do it but i was exhausted mm. but i didn't want to turn anything down for fear that like they wouldn't call me again mm -hmm. And then I had a kid, and I was just like, okay, f done with that. Right. Um, so now this really fits. Yeah. The fact that, like, he'll call me for a gig, and I can go like, yeah, I can't make that because my kid's got a, a concert that right. night or something. And it's like, no problem. Right. So this fits really well right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I would love to keep doing this all the time. Yeah. I would love to make it more a part of things as I 
get older and don't want to work the day job anymore and would like to be able to be more flexible and maybe that'll happen. Yeah. Um, but for right now it's, it really fit. It's right in the pocket. That's, that's awesome. I mean, it really is a pleasure to, to have you back in my, in my life making this music yeah, and, and, and playing these tunes, man. Yeah, it's it a is, wonderful thing. It's a ton of fun. So wait, so wait, what is the new, what is the new trio that, that you're in or the, the new project? What is it called? It's called Ronnie Jones. Ron, Ronnie the, Leach and Along for the Ride. Ronnie, Ronnie Leach, Leach and Along and for the for Ride. RonnieLeachMusic.com. Okay. Did you no, do, sorry. RonnieLeachLive.com. Did you do his website as well? No, no. no. I, I should have. You should have. Don't Ronnie. tell. <laughs> Don't tell Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, brother... I think we did it. I think we. I think we did it. Good. Did we do it? Yeah. Are you? Is there anything else you're dying to to tell me about? No. It's wonderful to be back with all of you. <laughs> and uh, no, it feels natural. It does feel good, right? It, it, it things come around and yeah. all in the right time, and this is it. I love. It's the, working. I love the. Um, I really like reinventing these tunes. I know. I really I, do. I know. And I feel like... I feel, I feel like, like I'm a better player. And, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I certainly feel that way. But I feel like, you know, if if we spend another day, we could make them even better because they, they're adolescent tunes, you know, in, yeah. in my mind. But over the years, even when I wasn't playing out, there's a bunch of your tunes that I always play. Really? And you don't know that yet. But I don't you know, know it now. There are a couple of songs that... I sit down at the piano and I'm noodling around and I always go back to three or four of of the ten dollar outfit songs. Well you have to and always you have, have to tell me what they are. Well they're all the ones that I yell at you for not playing when we haven't played them and you know, dude, we gotta do Don't tell me it's fucking door to door. It's not door to door. Okay, well what what are the what are the ones? The ones are uh 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 travel music. Yeah. Uh, We're gonna do that. Shelter. Shelter's fun. Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Yeah. I mean, these are three still in the rotation. Yeah. These are hits. Yeah. That no one knows. But they're ones I always play. Really? Yep. And always have. Well, I love you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Peter Augustus <laughs> Venti. <laughs> Sorry. No. It was named after Augustus Gloop. Yeah. I, I think that Augustus is, is sexier than Frank. But Peter Frank Venti has a thing. Peter Frank Venti. There's a symmetry to it that I like. Uh, 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 uh. Peter Frank. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for uh, taking the time and, and uh, walking down the road with me. Thanks for having me, Brian. And sharing your, sharing your story. And, and, you know, when I got here, you were the OG, you know, had that Tempe downtown experience and, and, uh, and, and, you know, has played in a thousand bands and half of the bands you didn't even talk about tonight. But but uh, it's a pleasure to make music with you. Happy to happy to call you a friend. And, and thank you for spending time with me. Likewise. Thanks, brother. Texas Delta Omega dot Brian forward slash music. So story goes.